Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV. This is episode number 603. And this week, we are going to be looking at a couple of different things. First yes. of all, we're going to be taking our BitTorrent seed server that we made back on episode number 597 to the next level and creating a network-attached storage out of it so that we can actually access those BitTorrent downloads through our Samba uh, in, you know, if we want to access it from our Windows uh, Explorer, if we want to access it from our Linux computer or our Mac, we can actually load those files directly without having to figure out some fandangled way to transfer them. Also, I'm going to be cracking into an old uh, D-Link switch to see what's going to be needed in order to fix it because apparently it doesn't even turn on. Um, And we have a little bit of kit for your Star Trek fandom, um, so you definitely want to stick around. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up for you tonight. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Our live recordings are trusted only to solid-state drives by Kingston Technology. Revive your computer with improved performance and reliability over traditional hard drives with Kingston SSDs. Category 5 TV streams live with Telestream Wirecast and Nimble Streamer. Tune in every week on Roku, Kodi, Plex, and other HLS video players. For local showtimes, visit Category5.tv. Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN and the International Association of Internet Broadcasters. Cat5.tv slash IAIB. Welcome to the show, everybody. Nice to have you here again with us this week. We've got a fantastic show planned. Mm -hmm. First of all, been quite a week here at our (laughs) studio. That's an understatement. Oh, well, first of all, going back about a week or so, uh, the water main just up the road busted. Oh, I didn't know that. I've never had this happen. I've heard it on the news. People, you know, you, you hear about it quite frequently. Yeah. But you never think about how it affects you. And there's no water. Right. And there's... And we're kind of downhill, so if it floods this way... Yeah, I don't think that was an issue. They, no? they turn okay. off the mains, right? Right. So there's just no water. Right. But then when it comes back on, it's like brown. You can't drink ah, it. So we're yes. under a, a boil water advisory, but here at the studio, we... You know, we don't have a kitchen, mm, so it's not like we can, yeah, not very appealing. No. So, so you know, here in Barrie, that's affected a lot of folks. We're in yep. Barrie, Ontario. And then, uh, so they've got a whole section of road and, and main intersections blocked off, and somebody drove right through it, and people have been driving through it. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. People have been driving through it because there's, and, and I don't know if that's the case in this particular case that I'm thinking of, but I actually was, I was pulling out of the grocery store because the water main break was in front of the grocery store right. at a main intersection. And so I was turning away from the barricades. Two cars in front of me pulled through the pylons so that they didn't have to, because you'd have oh to kind of goodness. weave around. Come on. So it just kind of, oh my goodness. So needless to say, somebody did drive through and I didn't see it happen this was another day but and actually put their car into the hole and she ended up passed away yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, cool so just Very like unfortunate. we got to be patient folks like these kinds of things yeah kind of made me think I, I I've got such a technical minded mindset and it immediately I started thinking about backups and I started thinking about how impatient people can become. Mm-hmm. And, okay, I don't have time to run my backups this week. Or, and then it turns into a month and two months and, because it's time-consuming. And there's yep. time crunches. And so, you know, the IT department doesn't have time to run the backups. So, you know, we've got to go through the, the shortcuts. Yes. Only to find that we are the ones that land in a hole and, you know, don't survive. It is true. The parallels are true. Yeah. Yeah. 
But I don't know how I made that connection. It just, to me, in my mind, that's like... So, like, so that started off the week here in Barrie. I so, came, so then from there, you decided to just... Oh, just go about my day. Just <laughs> go about my day as I normally <laughs> would. So I come into the studio and I do our post-process editing. Um, and I send those files to various um, servers around the world. We have RSS feeds. We have our YouTube channel. Of course, we're also on cable TV, KVVB, television for the high desert. Nice to have you here. Um, so I send these files once a week. And so I came in on Monday to do my editing. Yep. And as I approached the studio, the front door of the studio was propped open. Now, not our studio door. But the building. The building. So yeah. we, we actually rent a space in a large building, and the foyer was open. Yes. And so no, no big deal. Somebody working in, the, in one of the other units is, is bringing something in or whatever. So I came into the studio and sat down to do my Monday morning edits. And about 10 minutes in. So this is my excuse for why last week's newsroom is still not up on the website. 10 minutes into my editing, a bird started flying around Studio D. Not a, like a little baby bird that is like fumbling around. No, this is a full-size full daddy bird. And uh, so needless to say, I spent my Monday morning, no, my Monday, doing my level best to humanely capture this bird. Um, yeah, so that was my day. And, and so I'm, I'm well behind schedule with a lot of things. And then today, even I said to Jeff, I said, okay, well, before you get in, I've got to, I have to scrub the bird poop from various surfaces and everything else. So I said, I jokingly said, you know, the studio needed a deep cleaning. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And even after the clean, we're still finding more spots. Are we? Well, we got the curtain. Oh, the curtain. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Come it on, was a, bird. It was a nightmare. Have you ever had to go through that? And, like, uh, not with a bird in the house. I've had bats in the house, but thankfully they're pretty clean. Yeah. A bat, can you just capture it with a, like a net or something? Oh, you just threw like a, uh, like a small towel over it. Then you take the towel outside and let it go. Okay. Let's see. That sounds easy. Yeah. Comparatively. Not so much with a bird in the well, middle this of the bird, full of cameras. Oh, <laughs> did I mention we're in an industrial complex? And in an industrial complex, the air... Ductwork is kind of wide open. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So the bird kind of got up into the ductwork. And so that compounded the problem. But remember, I'm looking for a humane solution. I didn't immediately crank the heat. Yeah. So needless to say, I saved the bird. It's somewhere. I came up with a solution. I used a wise cam pan in order to save okay, the bird. How did you come up with this idea? How did I come up with this idea? You'd have to watch the vlog in order to find out. I recorded as much as I could like once, it was, once it was okay to do so. <laughs> so if you want to check that out, hey, you can find out how I was able to save the bird with a wise cam and a little ingenuity. That's funny. And maybe you'll get some ideas on how you can capture a bird if it ever came down to it. I actually came up with something pretty cool, I think, and it worked out really well. I just love that you ended up trapping it in the washroom. That was my, that was my <laughs> Monday. So here we are. It's Wednesday. Time to do a great show. Before we jump right into it, make sure that you subscribe to us on YouTube and click that bell to receive notifications whenever we're live mm -hmm. or when we post new exciting content. Today, uh, we are going to be checking out our BitTorrent server. Yes. I built this um, back on episode number 597 with Sasha, so you haven't seen it yet. That's right. Yeah. 
I so this is episode. this Jeff is awesome. I'm just going to reach forward here because I've actually got it running on uh, an Ethernet cable with uh, the power going to it. So this is an Odroid HC1. Okay. And the HC1 has something really great in that it has an SATA backplane. So I, in fact, have oh. a full um, one terabyte Kingston SSD running wow. inside this single board computer chassis. You'll notice I also have added um, the battery. So I yes. added a, um, a real-time clock battery. They're like a couple bucks. So I thought, hey, I better add that because when the power is lost to the device, I don't want to have to figure out why it's not getting its updates or why right. s stuff isn't working because if the clock reverts to 2016 then you have all kinds of weird anomalies so yep. uh, but needless to say i set that up as a seed server and in fact um, odroid magazine has published um, in the april issue uh, my write-up about how to set that cool. up so if you look at odroid magazine april 2019 you can follow along the steps that are there they're very detailed and it's very copy and paste um, and explains how you can in fact set this up. Nice. It's not just for Odroid HC1s, this particular type of single board computer. Right. But this, I think, is the perfect solution. It uses an SD card to boot from and where the software resides, mm -hmm. but then all the storage for the BitTorrent files, the downloads, go on to the SSD. Right. So you're not saving those to like an SD card or an EMMC card and running right. out of space right away. As I mentioned, this is a one terabyte. Well, ni 960 gigs. It's 960 gigs for a solid state drive. That's and awesome. it's like a consumer, a consumer uh, Kingston drive. Um, so I'm going to hop on to our server. So I've actually got this connected to my network right now at 10.0.0.145. And if I go colon 9091, and then the default username and password is transmission. Transmission. And this is going to show us what my BitTorrent server looks like right now. So, Jeff, you can see I've got a couple of things still downloading because I'm also, I'm seeding, pardon me, I'm seeding NEMS Linux. You can see there near the bottom. And up near the top, I'm seeding Category 5 complete seasons. So, seasons 1 through 11 are all going to be seeded by this little box. So if people want to... of ton of content. Right. It's pretty much, you know, it's practically filling a one terabyte drive. <laughs> but that makes sure. So if you download Category 5 Technology TV from torrent.category5.tv, it's a free way to get our content. And it's uh, absolutely legal because us, the content creators, have released it to you right. free of charge. So it's free for you to download. So... There are numerous seeds, so people who are sharing those files with the public as a way of supporting what we do by sharing it with others. And if all else fails, if there were no other seeds, say, or maybe if there are 10 seeds and ours just happens to be closer to you, you may in fact be downloading it from our little HC1 server. Look at that. That's how BitTorrent works. And you may download half of it from our server and half of it from another person's server. And it's, it could be anything. But that's kind of how, how that works. So it ensures that there's always a copy of Category 5 TV on our seed server so that if someone tries to download it, it's there. It's available. No matter what. I love it. I love it too, Jeff. So these are the torrents that I have on there right now. So it's all our own content. It's NEMS Linux as well. That's a distro that I create. And you can see, okay, so I've got 
all of season one. So, hey, I'm really into those old webcam videos that Robbie used to make out of his basement. The pre-4K? <laughs> <laughs> this was before 16K was a thing. Actually, this was like a 320p, yeah. 4 over 3. We're not even going to get into it. But... It goes right up to season 11, and you see that it's still queuing for verification because I actually did some work on the server today, so it's just kind of reloading a few things. But you can get, like, season 5, season 6. But now that I've downloaded these, Jeff, what options do I have? I can pause it. Because, you know, remember, all that I'm looking at here is my torrent, BitTorrent system. Right. So I can add new torrents and download them, and it will download to the SSD. Right. But and then I can share it with other systems, but I have no access to them. In order right, to unless you actually log into that and run it, but you can't because there's no you, you, there's no monitor on an HC one. There's no HDMI output or anything like that. It is right. literally just a server. Right. Um, there's no like there's no Plex server built into it. There's it's just a basic Debian install with transmission daemon running. Okay. That's it. And we've mounted an SSD as, as a mount point in slash home slash Robbie slash SSD slash torrents. So then how do you get in? How do we get in? That's the question, and that's what we're here to learn today uh, as we take this tutorial to the next step, which is to gain access to those files. So now that I've got these downloads created, like these downloads have happened, they're there. Now let's actually make it so that we can access those. Cool. I'm going to actually... SSH into that server. My login is Robbie. My password is 1234, as you know. Sounds very secure. Absolutely. All right, let's get a nice little close-up shot here for you. Yeah. All right. Okay, so first of all, um, so now I'm just logged into my SSH terminal session. So um, there's really not a lot to do on this box because all I have is so let's go into home slash Robbie and you see Jeff there's a folder called SSD and in that is torrents and if I go into torrents whoa so it's pretty torrents. vanilla <laughs> yeah it is very vanilla so there's those are my downloads okay okay so now what I want to do is I want to actually be able to access it from my Windows computer, my Mac, my Linux machine. On my machine here, of course, I'm on Microsoft Windows. You could be on anything. The commands are a little bit different. But on Linux, or on Windows, pardon me, we know that the command to access a Samba share, a network share, or a NAS, is slash slash, and then the IP address, 10.0.0.145. And I'm going to hit enter on that. Okay. And I'm going to timeout, and it's going to say, well, there's, there's nothing there, right? Because we've never set anything up for that. So what we want to do is we want to now take this to the next level. So our BitTorrent server is not only going to be a BitTorrent seed server, it's now going to also become a NAS, All Network right Attached Storage. And a Network Attached Storage device allows us to access it through our Samba shares. So Windows cannot access it, check the spelling, blah, blah, blah. That's because it doesn't exist yet. So let's jump back over to here and let's go. Pseudo sue. That's going to help us to become root. Um, and I'm going to type uh, my password. And I'm going to type apt update. If my clock is set correctly, this should go through pr pretty well. Um, if you get an error about the certificate being in the future, something like that, then you know that it's because your clock is setting correctly. 
It actually looks like one of our hosts there um, is, in fact, down because it looks like it's timing out. Yeah. And that can happen because, um, you know, if, if a particular host that's in the sources list is not available, there you go. Could not connect to that particular one. That's okay. okay. That's different from a, that's a timeout because of theirs. Oh, but now look at what I'm seeing. Release file. Um, updates for this repository will not be ref- applied. Invalid. For another 55 days. Oh, come on. It happened to me. So I plugged in the battery, Jeff, but I didn't reset my date. Look at this. February 14th. Oh. What's today? It as is, we record this? It's the 10th. April so 10th. I do this kind of on purpose sometimes because I want you to see how to resolve these issues. So you're making problems? No, but when a problem happens, I want you to see why and how to fix it. I'm not going to fix it before I do the show. And we could be that show. There are a lot of shows out there on YouTube that it's perfection. But then as soon as you hit a snag like this, you're like, well, I did apt update and it won't do it. Right. Now what do I do? And then you've got to dig in. I'm going to show you what the problem is. So I mentioned it. Uh, what we want to do is head on over to my blog, which is baldnerd.com slash nerdgasms. And in my nerdgasms list, you will see a tool called set Linux time and date. Pretty simple, right? Highlight the first line copy it to your clipboard and this is actually running a uh this is a uh, the command to set the time and date accurately to the current time and date so i just pasted that into my terminal and now april 10th 7:18 p.m. as we broadcast this eastern time so now let's do apt update and let's see if anything is different we're still timing out at uh, mdrjr.net. Looks like that server is just, it just happens to be offline while we're broadcasting live, and there's nothing I can do about that. I could comment it out if we felt we didn't need it permanently. Sometimes that can happen, but right. they may be down for maintenance or something like that. And when I say comment it out, you could comment it out of your slash etc slash apt slash sources.list file, or there's a sources.list.d folder where there could uh, be some files residing as well. That error is different than the one that we received afterwards. So that seemed to work. That worked, except failed to fetch mdrjr.net. That's Maverick's repository, could not connect. So their server just happens to be down right now. You may not encounter that one. It's not related to the time uh, problem, but you notice that the time issue being 55 days in the future is not an issue any longer. So now I can type apt install Samba, S-A-M-B-A. Get a little closer in there for you. Apt install Samba. Reason that I want to do apt update first is because it's going to now make sure that I'm getting the most current version from the repository. Makes sense. It gets the new repository list. It's telling me it's got all this junk to install. The main thing that I want to check here, of course, these are called dependencies on Linux. These are things that are required in order to have Samba. Just double check where it says to remove. Zero to remove. If that said one to remove or five to remove, then I need to look a lot closer and, and make sure that the things that are being removed are not going to break something else that I use on my system. Sometimes that can happen. In this case, it's not going to remove anything. It's only going to install 34 newly installed applications or tools. And I'm going to say yes. And it's also going to upgrade, incidentally, 14 of those for me. So here it goes. It's installing this tool called Samba. Samba is an implementation of the SMB protocol. So SMB is what allows Windows 
networks to share files. So the lay term that you might be familiar with would be Windows file sharing. Right. When you right-click on a folder and you type and you press share and then you give it a name, torrents, now you can access that from any computer on the network. That's through the Samba protocol, yes. SMB. Yeah. Um, so Samba is the Linux implementation of that protocol. Um, this is asking if we want to use WinS for DHCP. We don't need that. I can just say no, whatever. And carry on. Here we go. It's installing its thing. So this, again, is a very vanilla install. I've got a couple of little issues here and there, but it doesn't, it's nothing to write home about. It's a very basic Debian uh, buster install, as a matter of fact, because this is the new uh, Bald Nerd base image that you can okay. get at baldnerd.com. Uh, while we're waiting to that, for that to install, I can, in fact, show you that new page. Ooh, please do. If you go to baldnerd.com, and you click on single board computers, and then you'll see SBC build base. And there are builds, so these are Debian Buster right now, because here's the thing, I found that everything that's available is Debian Stretch, Debian 9. I want Debian 10. Right. Um, it's under feature lock. It is going to go stable very, very soon. I don't want to wait for, um, for it to be released six months from now. It's there now. So, yeah. so I've actually compiled and released... Um, my own distros, powered by NEMS Linux um, and the tools that I've built there. So we've got um, Debian 10 for A64 Plus from Pine64, Rock64, A64 LTS, SoPine, Odroid N2. That board is not even available yet, but it's got an OS. Uh, XU3, XU4, HC1, HC2. That is what this one is running right now, the HC1 build. Uh, NanoPi M4 and the ASUS build base has the Tinkerboard and the Tinkerboard S as well. So those are build base images of um, Debian 10, completely unrelated to this demonstration. But I want you to know that those are there if you ever want to build a server or if you need a base image for a Linux um, distribution that you're creating. That's a good way to, to do it. It's our, a lot of the work is already done for you. That is done installing, so Samba now exists. So presumably, does that mean, Jeff, that I can now just simply go over there? 10.0.0.145. Sure enough, oh, look at that. I didn't get the error this time, but what do I see? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, is that a permissions thing? No, it's that I haven't created any shares yet. Som oh, right. Samba's yeah, running, right. yeah, okay. but there's no shares. Right. Well, this is a little server with no monitor. It has no GUI. There's no mouse or keyboard connected to it. How the heck do I now right-click on the folder and tell it to share? Can you SSH? That's what we're used to, right? Well, I'm already SSH'd in, so good, good guess. That's definitely how we're going to do it. <laughs> but it's not going to be done through a UI whatsoever. I'm going to go uh, nano. Okay, first of all, look at the folder that I'm currently in. I, I want you to observe that. That's important. Slash home slash Robbie slash SSD slash torrents. Because that's where all my torrents reside, remember? So that's the folder that I actually want to gain access to. Right. So yours may be different. Your name's probably not Robbie, so it might be slash home slash Jeff slash SSD, if that's what you called your mount point, slash torrents. So... Keeping that in mind, let's go nano slash etc slash samba slash smb.conf. And that file now exists. It wouldn't have before we installed Samba. But I want to actually get to the bottom of the file. So I can sit here, click, 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 click. Or in nano, I can hit 
alt slash and that will take me right to the very bottom of the file and I want to create my first share so we're gonna do that longhand I'm gonna call this torrents so I'm gonna put a hard brace torrents and then a closing hard brace next line I'm gonna go read only equals yes and the reason I'm doing that is I don't want anyone to be able to make changes right. to my torrent download folder why because those are seeds Exactly. If somebody renamed a file or changed any little bit of the structure of anything or entered a folder and their Windows machine dropped um, like a thumbnails cache, It'll now the thing up. all of a sudden that seed is corrupt because yeah. the checksum no longer matches. So in this case, I want this to be read only because we're doing torrents. Um, locking equals no probably not necessary so we're not going to get into it path equals well because it's not necessary let's just delete it uh, path this is what I mentioned before this is where the files are located where the folder is that I want to share this is what I'm right clicking on right now put it in quotes that's gonna save you a lot of grief if you have any odd characters like spaces home slash Robbie slash SSD slash torrents next line um, are, we have to make a decision, do we want guest access or do we want them to have to log in? In my network, I want them to have to log in. So I'm going to say guest OK equals no. No! Valid users equals, do you remember my username, Jeff? Uh, Robbie? Yeah, that's right. Enter it just like it is on your Linux system. Um, username is Robbie. That's it. I think I'm done. So now if I close this, the next step is that I need to restart Samba in order for it to, for the change to take effect because I just changed the entire uh, what's shared. So system CTL restart SMBD and now it's done. If you didn't have any errors, you won't see any errors. If you type system CTL status SMBD, it should say active running. So now let's jump back to my Windows Explorer here and type slash slash 10.0.0.145 and now I see torrents. Oh, look at that. And I'm going to click on it and, and, I, and yes, I do things incorrectly so that the viewers at home can do it too and then you're going to learn why this is not going to work. <laughs> okay. okay. So keep that in mind. I'm going to use my username Robbie, which is what I told it is allowed, and enter my password. Enter. What? Surprise! It's not working. Is that because you didn't put your password in? No, I entered my password. I just put it in. My Linux user, right? And I told oh, Samba... The, the Linux, it's right. my Linux user right, password. Yeah, it's okay. what I use to SSH in and everything right. else. Oh, but wait, Jeff, I forgot. <laughs> that was horrible acting. It's an amazing, amazing moment right there. <laughs> Jeff, I forgot. Samba uses a different user database than Linux. So I need to create a Samba user. Right. So let's do that. Okay, back at SSH. So here we go. I'm not going to touch anything on my Windows system there. I want to leave that password prompt up. Let's type. You ready for this? SMB. Password. Because for some reason, password is wood in <laughs> Linux. So SMB. P-A-S-S-W-D dash A. We're adding... Who are we adding, Jeff? A user. A user? 
Oh, you want me to come up with a name for them? Well, what's my name? Oh, your name's Robbie. I want it to match my Linux <laughs> user. So, yes, I am Robbie. Now, okay, we're setting up an SMB password for the user Robbie. What's my password? I'm going to make it match my user. Same password. I don't have to make it the same password. But now, added user Robbie to Samba. Back here on Windows, I haven't changed a thing. I'm going to hit OK. Boom! Now you're in. Now I'm in. Now I have read-only access to my Samba share, which is the SSD's torrents folder right. that my BitTorrent client is able to save to. Okay. So now is somebody's BitTorrent client going to have to have permissions to access? We covered that on episode number 597, okay, the permissions No, issue. but I mean by making this change now, it's not going to change anything with that setup. It's read-only. Okay. So my settings that I've created, I'm not able to write anything to that folder, so permissions are not going to be an issue. If I was doing a read-write operation, then I would need to specify which user right. are going to, is going to be creating those files. It's not, a, it's not the case here because it's only read-only. Um, so let's actually, I mean, the, the final test, really, Jeff, is to see, does it work? So let's go into something reasonably current, Season 11, and just double-click on any file. And there you go. There we go. There we are on the green screen. Oh my goodness, I forgot about the green screen. Yeah. Wow, and I have no beard. No beard at all. So baby face. Yeah. Was that seriously only season 11? Look at that. So, wow. so you had fa- it runs there. super well. <laughs> so now, ladies and gentlemen, taking it to the next step, our BitTorrent server is now also a network-attached storage. So you could, could you link these files now to something like Plex if you wanted to watch these? On oh, your- Jeff, you're going to have to watch episode three. <laughs> yes, you can. You could point Plex to the Samba share yep. that we just created and add that as part of your media library. Beautiful. Done. That's if you already have a, a Plex media server. Right. If you don't already have a Plex media server, we are going to be covering how to install that on our Odroid HC1, making it a three-fold system. Oh, my goodness. But, Jeff, we've got to take a quick break. Do you want to send us off? Sure, yeah. We're going to take a quick break. <laughs> when we return... It's right there. <laughs> we'll check if a dead network switch is worth fixing, or should we just replace it? Speaking of bad acting, stick w- around. It was bad reading. Oh, bad reading. <laughs> as long as it wasn't bad writing. That's true. Mm. That's fair. Yeah. For a limited time, get your hands on limited edition shirts from the Category 5 TV network. These high-quality shirts are manufactured by Teespring, a fundraising website, and your purchase will help support the shows we produce. Get yours today and send us your pictures to be featured on the corresponding show. Visit cat5.tv shirts to support us and get your official network shirt today. cat5.tv shirts. Welcome back, everybody. Now, Jeff, I use a lot of single-board computers. Of course, I showed you earlier in the show that I have now single-board computer bases for Debian Buster. 
for all kinds of single-board computers. NEMS Linux now supports 14 different platforms. Awesome! So I am constantly... You remember the old patch panels of the days gone by in the Mm -hmm. studio? We'd be pulling cables and moving things around and connecting callers. Yeah. Um, So that's kind of what my switch room looks like right now. My uh, server room, if you will. Mm -hmm. It's a rough-in bathroom. But hey, it does the job. But... I am completely out of network ports. I have so many single board computers that I'm always connecting and working on and and building for and and then sharing those images that I create. So I want to get a new network switch. I want to get one that is going to have 16 ports. That'll cover sure. me. Yeah, I've got 14 NEMS Linux servers online right now that I'm having to you know patch in and then unplug when they're not in use. Sounds like 16 you need more will get than me by. 16 then because you're going to be adding. more. Well, remember, I'm adding. I want to add 16. Oh, yes. So I'm going to supplement I what okay. I already have right. okay. with another 16. So a 16 port switch would do. That'll keep you real going well. to the end of the year. Yeah, at least. <laughs> so but they're 50 bucks, anyways, for like a you know 10 over 100 cheap, um, good um, switch. All right. Um, you can get gigabit switches. That's fine. But for what I'm doing, uh, uh, 10 over 100 is going to be fine. Fast Ethernet is great. Um, so I have one, Jeff. All right. That was given to me a long time ago because... I say, that looks old. It, no, it's a, this is a, a DSS 16 Plus from D-Link. It's, no, it's just a, a rack mount switch. It's it not, doesn't look current like this year. Oh, we didn't like unbox it? Yes. Yeah, I see. No, but it, it was given to me because it doesn't work. It doesn't do a thing. You plug it in and it just doesn't even power on. Really? Yeah. So hmm. let's throw it out, right? Let's put that in the landfill and see if it decomposes. Most people do. Yeah. But do we need to do that? No. Should I just not. go to Amazon and spend 50 bucks plus tax plus shipping, whatever else? Oh, I'll fix it. Or should we see if it's worth tinkering? I feel like I should blow it up right now and say, yeah, throw it out. I'm going to skip over here. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and here I am. Ta-da! Okay, so this is just a 16-port dead switch that doesn't work whatsoever. doesn't even fire up. But the question that we want to answer is, hey, uh, am I, and I'm using me as the example, but are we, are you and I, capable of just making it go? Is there something we could do to make this work? Let's jump in here. And there you have it. That is the internal look of a D-Link DSS Dash 16 plus. See, Jeff, that was an unboxing of sorts. <laughs> so, okay. we're going to get a quick look at the circuitry here. So, the switch itself, everything looks preem and proper. Oh, Robbie's been in there before, you can tell. Um, so, looking at the caps, these are capacitors. Everything looks great. Yep, everything looks perfect. It looks brand new inside, doesn't it? It does. No Not dust. a speck of dust. Let's get over to this unit over here. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is obviously... What do, you, what do you suspect it is? Yeah, it's the power. This is the power supply. So the first thing that I notice when I check this out, Jeff, capacitor here is good. Yeah. These two capacitors have ruptured. Oh, look at that, yeah. Can you see that? Why would that happen? Power overload? 
Maybe they didn't have it. Yeah, precisely. I mean, if there's too much power going through a capacitor, the electrons are going to shoot across from plate to plate instead of holding on, on the plate. They're not, it's not going to take a charge. Instead, it's going to, the, the, the electricity is going to flow through it and burst the capacitor. Right. So these two capacitors are dead. They aren't going to operate, and it's not going to work. So let's see what we need to do here. Let's pull this apart. And I'm just going to... This is the ground screw here. You want to be careful when you're doing this, because remember, capacitors do hold a charge. So I have not had this plugged in in a long time, but I'm still going to be very careful with those capacitors because they could hold uh, a pretty good voltage in there that could give you a pretty good shock. I mean, a, a bigger one than this um, could be deadly. So please be very, very careful. Keep yourself grounded and know kind of what you're doing. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Just know kind of what you're doing is a good start. You can tell them you heard that here. Get all the screws out so I can... Basically, I'm just removing the power supply. So the temptation tends to be, and, and an option is, in fact, that we could replace the power supply. Because that would that, be the easiest route. That would fix it, Jeff. And if you send it away to a repair shop that's going to charge you probably as much as I could buy it for, 50 bucks, then that's probably, you know, that could be what they're going to do. But this is literally everything else looks perfect. So I've inspected the capacitors and resistors and everything else. Everything looks fine, except for those two ruptured capacitors. Right. So I have discharged these, but you would never touch the contacts here because, as I said, they could have um, electricity still within the capacitor. We're going to be looking at that next week. Don't you worry. I'm going to show you how to discharge those safely. Um, in the meantime, um, these capacitors being burnt out, what I need to do is I need to look at the capacitor itself get really really tight in here and you're going to see a couple of things first of all the voltage is 10 volts okay that's important we don't want a 48 volt capacitor and it's 1000 uf so those are the capacitors that i need in order to replace this so 50 dollars to replace the switch on amazon Five of these particular capacitors, 10 volt, 1,000 UF, are going to be $8. Wow. $8. So, tune in next week. We're going to see if my mad soldering skills <laughs> is going to be enough to save this switch. I and feel like we need to have It's Alive Maybe we will, Jeff. <laughs> Maybe we will. Well, that's we, exciting. We will. I'm looking forward to that soldering job. Uh, yeah, so that I've, I placed the order, and uh, those capacitors are on their way, and I'm going to see if we can fix that. A very, very simple fix in, in contrast, you know, when you yeah. look at the electrical components and what actually has to be repaired. Um, but as I say, the, the temptation, and sometimes even you get in the forums on how do you fix, and the instruction is buy a new power unit. Right, but that, you the whole to, circuit board. the rest looked good. Yeah, the rest is fine. Yeah. So presumably it's fine. So by removing those capacitors, it had a surge go through it or something like that. By removing those capacitors, which in essence protected the rest of the circuit um, and replacing them with um, the exact same capacitors, we should be able to boot it. We'll find out next week.
I know the chat room was really excited about soldering. So I, th- I think there's like a collective, aww, <laughs> for this week. <laughs> yeah, let's, they just want to see Robbie fail. Exactly. No, well, I'm going to pass. about the major jolt, and they're amazing. like, this is going to be good. Oh, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> Stand back, everybody. Ready for it? Ready? <laughs> High voltage. Stay away. That's going to be a lot of fun. We've got to head over to the newsroom. Jeff is on the news desk today. Oh, yeah. Hi, Jeff. Hi. How are you today? I'm good. Fantastic. Take her away. All right. Here are the stories we're covering this week in the Category 5.TV newsroom. A piece of malware has been found on both iOS and Android that's been stealing contacts, audio, location data, and more for several years. Sony has created a colossal 16K screen, which will soon be on display in Japan. A newly discovered privilege escalation flaw in the Apache web server allows malicious users to gain root access to the underlying OS. And astronomers have revealed the first ever image of a black hole that exists in a galaxy called M87, and it's 500 million trillion kilometers away. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. This is the Category 5.TV Newsroom, covering the week's top tech stories with a slight Linux bias. Jeff Weston, you're building a brand new beautiful website. What? Aren't you? No. Am I? You're a terrible actor. What? This is where acting comes into play. Oh, I didn't know we were acting. You're supposed to act. Okay, fair enough. I'm building a really cool website. Are you building a really cool website? Just because Jeff is confused doesn't mean you have to be. Visit cat5.tv slash dreamhost to sign up for unlimited web hosting for your website with unlimited email accounts, MySQL databases, the latest version of PHP, WordPress, and more, and even a free domain name registration. It's less than $6 per month, so sign up today. cat5.tv slash dreamhost. I'm Jeff Weston, and here are the top stories we're following this week. A piece of malware has been found on both iOS and Android that's been stealing contacts, audio, location data, and more for several years. Researchers recently discovered a well-funded mobile phone surveillance operation that was capable of surreptitiously stealing a variety of data from phones running both the iOS and Android operating systems. Researchers believe the malware is so-called lawful intercept, and it's sold to law enforcement and governments. Exodus, as the malware for Android phones has been dubbed, was under development for at least five years. It was spread in apps disguised as service applications from Italian mobile operators. Exodus was hidden inside apps available on phishing websites and nearly 25 apps available in Google Play. In a report published two weeks ago, researchers at Security Without Borders said Exodus infected phones estimated to be in the several hundreds, if not thousand or more. Exodus consisted of three distinct stages. The first was a small dropper that con- collected basic information, uh, information about the device, such as the IMEI and the phone number, and sent it to the command and control server. A second stage was installed almost immediately after the researcher's test phone was infected with the first stage and also reported to the control server. That led researchers to believe that all phones infected with stage one are indiscriminately infected with later stages. 
Stage 2 consisted of multiple binary packages that implemented the bulk of the advanced surveillance capabilities. Some of the variants encrypted communication was with self-signed certificates that were pinned to the apps. The binaries could also take advantage of capabilities available on specific devices. For one instance, one binary made use of protected apps, a feature in the highway phones, to keep Exodus running even when the screen went dark, rather than to be suspended to reduce battery consumption. A third stage would attempt to let Exodus again uh, to gain root control over infected phones, typically though through the use of an exploit dubbed Dirty Cow. Once fully installed, Exodus was able to carry out an, an, an extensive amount of surveillance, including recording phone conversations, extracting calendar events, uh, record audio or video, or take photos at will, view the address book or call log, read SMS messages, and more. That's a big list. The researchers say that their analysis of Exodus led to this discovery of servers that, in addition to Exodus, hosted an iOS version of the malware. The iPhone surveillance malware was distributed on phishing sites that masqueraded as mobile carriers. The iOS version was installed using the Apple Developer Enterprise program, which allows organizations to distribute in-house apps to employees or members using the iOS App Store. The apps masqueraded as mobile carrier assistance apps that instructed users to keep the app installed on their device and stay under Wi-Fi coverage to be contacted by one of our operators. It's not clear how many phones were infected by the iOS apps. The iOS various variant isn't as sophisticated as Exodus. Unlike Exodus, the iOS version wasn't observed to use exploits. Instead, it relied on documented programming interfaces. It was nonetheless able to exfiltrate a variety of sensitive data. The researchers reported their findings to Apple, who swiftly revoked the enterprise certificate. The revocation, uh, re revocation was an what has an effect of preventing the apps from being installed on the new iPhones and stopping them from running on infected devices. Similarly, when they reported their findings to Google, the infected apps were removed from Google Play. This is scary stuff. Mm, yeah, the fact that's... that it lasted for so long before being caught. Well, and where is it from? I mean, the well, bottom yeah. line is, like, what is this surveillance app? Is it, right. uh, you mentioned that this is a product that can be sold to governments, for example, or, you know, who, who knows what, what this use case is? No, at least they, they said it was only found on hundreds, possibly a couple thousand phones. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like it was a mass spread, but that's where they knew Even it to still. Be. That it exists. I think it, yeah. it just points out the fact that, okay, these types of exploits can exist. So if, and I use the government example, if a government was to want to m surveil a certain group, mm -hmm. then could they not use this technology in order sure to do it? Yeah. Really goes to show the difference between iOS and Android as well as far as the sophistication in their capabilities as a company to lock down their devices. Yes. Uh, whether you like that or not, I, I don't particularly like the Apple's abilities. Right. But at the same time, in a case like this, the fact that a lot of people may have this exploit and not hear the news story. Yes. Those people, if they're on iOS, are safe because it will not load on their phone anymore. Right. Those people on Android... All they did was delete it from the store. They can't install it now, but if it's already installed, it's still running. It's exactly. still listening to their conversations. So it really shows that the, you know, a, a huge distinction between the two companies as far as their, how their, their control can be used for good. I, I would hope, though, that 
both Apple and um, Android would contact whoever they think has accessed this app to say, you might want to get rid of this. Or oh, the people? Like yeah. the users? Yeah, because, I mean, if the, like if I download Again, who knows, though? Like this, uh, this could be used... If I an app through, say, the Google Play Store on my phone, yeah. then there's a record of that. So then I should be able to be contacted through my Google account mm. to say, you've downloaded this app, you need to uninstall it because there's a vulnerability to it. So I would mm-hmm. think there should be some sort of check and balance communication system, but yeah. maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. And it brings to question, though, because, I mean, this is the go- it was pulled from the Google Play Store, but there's other Android stores where you can get apps. And so it makes me wonder, was it pulled from them as well? Mm-hmm. Or was it just the Google Play? So Yeah, and I, I, I just can't help but think of, as you're, as you're speaking about this, the case where the FBI was trying to get Apple to unlock an iPhone. Oh, right. Like, and yeah. so I just think about that and I think, okay, so they're a legitimate entity trying to get access to. Well, what if legitimate government entities are using this type of, um, uh, like, think of the NSA and the hmm. exploits in Eternal Blue on Microsoft Windows 10. Right. This is something that came with, if you upgraded to Windows 10 when it was first released, you had an NSA exploit in your computer. Um, nothing's free. <laughs> just so you know um, so you know so of course when that was when eternal blue was discovered it was patched against and blocked but right. up until then everybody was susceptible so could it you know if governments are using this as way and, and i only use that example because it just strikes me as this seems bigger than just some malware company mm-hmm. not not in size but in capability yeah like well, something that is funded by um, something larger than just a hacker group. Right. Yeah, especially because it was funded for the last five years. Yeah. So. And it would have taken a massive amount of funding to do. Yeah. Very interesting story, nonetheless. <laughs> All right. Sony has created a colossal 16K screen, which will soon be on display in Japan. Sony's display contains 16 times as many pixels as 4K television and 64 times as many as a regular 1080p high-definition TV, meaning it can show images in far more detail than normal. This will let viewers stand close to the unit, which is larger than a bus, without its image looking blurred. One uh, one expert said it would uh, take likely decades for 16K tech to filter down to consumer products. The 63-foot-long by 17-foot-high screen is currently being installed at a new research center that is built for a Japanese cosmetics group, uh, Shishido, in the city of Yokohama, south of Tokyo. It's so large that it's going to stretch between the first and second floors. Now, Sony had previously designed a separate 16K display that went on uh, show at Tokyo's Haneda Airport in 2014, but that looked like it was made up by, of dozens of smaller screens rather than presenting a single seamless picture. Now, the new supersized installation has, in fact, been created over several modular panels, but because they don't have bezels, they can fit together without any visible gaps to create the impression of being a single screen. Now, Sony calls the technology Crystal LED, which is its brand name for micro-LED display tech. Samsung is also experiencing with the for- uh, experimenting with the format. For now, Sony is pitching a range of smaller, low-resolution crystal LED displays for use in office lobbies, car showrooms, cinemas, and theme parks. 
theme parks. Since little 16K footage exists elsewhere, the firm has produced its own film for Shishido showing life-size animal wildlife. The development was announced by Sony at the National Association of Broadcasters trade show, which is being held in Las Vegas this week. This is pretty cool. But Category 5 TV now in 16K. Right? Like, I mean, we're used to 4K. So to think 16K. I'm used to 1080p. Fair enough. And it looks great. But like 16K, that's mind-blowing. I think that the technology, Jeff, has such a potential for... Okay, first of all, yes, it's panels, okay? So they're they're bezel-less panels. No, who cares? I mean, they've made it so that it is absolutely seamless. So, yeah, you can take two panels and butt them up against each other, and it's seamless as long as they're flush, right? Right. They're going to be mounted that way. Um, So now these are portable. Mm Mm-hmm. Presumably. So, you know, you've got panels that can now be shipped in a spaceship. Just saying. So, <laughs> okay, so you're talking like space advertising? No, I'm talking, well, that's cool. <laughs> billboard in space on the moon. Our first ever billboard on the moon. I wonder what it would cost Be to get categorized. Joe's Diner. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, how long are you staying? Two weeks. Um, okay, so. Take these panels yep. to Mars, Okay. build them into your home, so you've got a panel that is 17 feet high, Yeah. okay, like a normal ceiling. Here, our ceilings are quite high at 10 feet, 17 feet high. Now, make that so that it is a natural landscape of Earth. And now, all of a sudden, we're doing away, and, and it's 16K, so I can walk up to it, and it's like looking out a window. I would rather just stay on Earth. But for those who don't, <laughs> for those who go to Mars. Yeah, fair enough. Like, yes. to, to have that capability to be able to basically be looking outside from their, from their living room, if you will. I mean, eventually right. we're going to get there. And when we do, won't it be amazing to see more than just the dust clouds? Oh, well, that's true. Ah, but they're portable panels. Uh, you know, what I... Obviously, it's going to hit advertising first. Guaranteed. Yes, for sure. But I'm thinking, like, I mean, in the news story, you talked about theaters. Like, imagine doing away with projection at theaters and having this massive panel that's 16... I mean, like, it would change the theater experience. Everything is digital now, so... Right? Yeah, it'll be neat to hear about the specifications as far as, um, like, ghosting, for example. Is that sure. still a thing with this? Is, uh, is refresh rates, uh, you know, wh- what kind of refresh rates are we mm-hmm. looking at? How many hertz is it, is it flowing at? And how there's, there's how many frames per second? Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's going to be low, Comparatively to to a TV, well, I mean, to, things are <laughs> is we're progressively getting that way. Yeah. I don't but know. Still, it's, you know, I what I love about tech is that some things just get bigger and bigger. Other things get smaller and smaller. Isn't that weird? But it's just it's interesting. It's like, well, this is the thing we're going to go bigger with. Yeah. You know, it's an ebb and flow. I think it, it really. We is. got like really big killer gaming rigs, and now we're into Raspberry Pis. Well, it's I'm, just the way it's going. I think of you know some of those movies, you know where like they've got an entire wall that's a TV and yeah. you can change what it looks mm-hmm. like, and you know I'm thinking this could become like a standard feature in your ten million dollar homes where it's like mm. oh it's got a picture wall, sure, know? and like 
that'd be cool. But they can make it, I mean, through really well done cinematography, adding depth of field and, mm-hmm. and capabilities like that. So think about places like they could build a museum where you can go yeah. back in past, in the past, where you can go back in time or to the future and, and see like, and feel like you're in that time because the, oh, it's just, you, do you see what I'm saying? I, I totally see what you're saying. Do you I, see what I I'm feel saying? like just saying, yeah, with tech, anything's possible. I know. It's just a, <laughs> it's just a really big TV. Uh, yeah. My dad would be excited about that. Yeah. He's like, oh, bigger. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Need a bigger right. living room. That's right. Yeah. A newly discovered privilege escalation flaw in the Apache web server allows malicious users to gain root access to the underlying OS. Apache is the Internet's most widely used web server, and the vulnerability they just fixed makes it possible for untrusted users or software to gain unfettered control of the machine soft that and federal control of the software that the machine runs on. With the exploit, the attacker could do just about anything. The vulnerability makes it possible for unprivileged scripts to overwrite sensitive parts of the user's memory, and therefore, a malicious script could exploit this to gain root privileges. The vulnerability poses the most risk inside web hosting facilities that offer shared instances in which a single physical machine serves content for more than one website. Typically, such servers prevent an administrator from one, on one site from accessing other sites or, uh, or the sensitive information settings of the machine itself. If one of the users successfully exploits the vulnerability, they gain full access to the server, just like the administrator at the web host. Another risk is that this vulnerability allows other vulnerabilities to also gain root, an issue that previously had limited permissions would be able to be executed as root, allowing it to do absolutely anything with the server. The vulnerability affects only Apache version 2.4.17 to 2.4.38 when running on Unix-like systems, and it's estimated that around 2 million servers are affected. People who rely on Apache, particularly customers of hosts that provide shared instances, should ensure that they're running version 2.4.3.9. 2.4.39. And I think this affects people who use shared hosting greatly. Yeah. So if you are on Linode or Amazon AWS who are susceptible to this, you need to make sure that you're running... 2.4.39. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I think of how many people have transitioned like their businesses and everything to the cloud. Yeah. And how many... How do you know who else is on that server? Right. Yeah. So how many other server or like companies could be on that one particular server? And if they haven't fixed this vulnerability, mm-hmm. like your cloud is now raining on everybody's parade. But um, You only get that kind of comedy here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, good time. Astronomers have revealed the first ever image of a black hole that exists in galaxy called M87, which is 500 million trillion kilometers away. It measures 40 billion kilometers across, which is 3 million times the size of the Earth, and has been described by scientists as a monster. The black hole was uh, photographed by a network of eight telescopes across the world. Details have been published today in Astrophysical Journal Letters. 
Professor Heino uh, Felki of Rabond University in the Netherlands said, what we see is larger than the size of our entire solar system. Oh. It has a mass 6.5 billion times that of the sun, and it's one of the heaviest black holes we think exists. It's an absolute monster. The heavyweight champion of black holes in the universe. There's a title for you. He says, although they're relatively simple objects, black holes raise some of the most complex questions about the nature of space and time, and ultimately, of our existence. He goes on to say, it's remarkable that the image we observe is so similar to that which we obtain from our theoretical calculations. So far, it looks like Einstein is correct once again. Having the first image will enable researchers to learn more about these mysterious objects. They will be keen to look for ways in which the black hole departs from what's expected in physics, though. No one really knows how the bright ring around the hole is created. Even more intriguing is the question of what happens when an object falls into a black hole. Professor Felke had the idea from a project when he was a PhD student in 1993. At one time, no one thought it was possible, but he was the first to realize that a certain type of radio emission would be generated close to and around the black hole, which would be powerful enough to be detected by telescopes on Earth. He also recalled reading a scientific paper from 1973 that suggested that because of their enormous gravity, black holes appear 2.5 times larger than they actually are. These two previously unknown factors suddenly made the seemingly impossible possible. After arguing this case for 20 years, Professor Falke persuaded the European Research Council to fund the project. The National Science Foundation and agencies in East Asia then joined in the bankroll to, to, uh, of the project to the tune of more than 40 million pounds. No single telescope is powerful enough to image the black hole, so in the biggest experiment of its kind, Professor Shepard Duellman of the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics led a project to set up a network of eight linked telescopes. Together, they formed the Event Horizon Telescope, and can be thought of as a planet-sized array of dishes. A team of 200 scientists pointed the networked telescopes towards M87 and scanned its heart over a period of 10 days. The information they gathered was too much to be sent across the internet, so instead the data was stored on hundreds of hard drives that were flown to a central processing center in Boston, uh, US, and Bonn, Germany to assemble the information. This is a wild story. I, I love it because it's tech, it's space, it's, it's collaborative approaches. Like, it's everything that just makes technology fun. That they pulled it off, too, and proved yeah. a theory that we've all, you know, just imagined is true. Right. Now we know it is. What I, what I just can't wrap my head around, though, is the size of this thing. Mm. Like, it's bigger than our solar system. That is a massive, massive black hole. Oh, yeah. Like, and I thought that, you know, sinkholes that we find around here, it's like, oh, <laughs> ah, that's a big sinkhole. Some of them are pretty big, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> this thing would swallow the solar system. Yeah to, yeah, to think that it's bigger than our solar system. Yeah. The single black hole is bigger than our solar system. Yeah, it's, it's just mind-bending. I'm, I'm not in physics whatsoever. Nor I let alone like theoretical physics and wow, like it just blows my mind. I, I can't get my head around it, but 
being a fan of sci-fi and being into technology and seeing how they're using technology to discover these kinds of things and capture them mm-hmm. um, and be able to process. I mean, they're talking about the capabilities that they have to create algorithms that will now take this imaging data and make it clearer so that it's not quite as fuzzy as the image that we saw today. Which is wild. Yeah. And it's all from radio transmissions. Mm-hmm. That's nuts. It's crazy. It's incredible. That's what it, it is. It's so much fun. I want to take a quick look at our cryptocurrency market, how things look um, this week. So according to CoinGecko, this is what the crypto market looked like as of 1,800 hours Eastern time on Wednesday, April 10th, 2019. Bitcoin gained 37.59 U.S. dollars. It's at 5,270.61 U.S. dollars, a.k.a. 61 cents. I can say it however I like. (laughs) Litecoin is at 83.35 U.S. dollars. Uh, Ethereum is at 175.08, losing just $1.46. Monero is at 69.97, staying pretty static this week. And looking at the little guys, Stellite is at 1.62 ten thousandths of a cent. And our guys, Turtlecoin, are down um, 0.07 ten thousandths of a cent, hovering at 1.64 ten thousandths of a cent this week. Remember, the cryptocurrency market never closes and is always volatile. Big thanks to Roy W. Nash and our community viewers for submitting stories to us this week. Thanks for watching the Category 5.TV newsroom. Don't forget to like and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias. And for more free content, be sure to check out our website. From the Category 5.TV newsroom, I'm Jeff Weston. And I'm Robbie Ferguson. Get your Starfleet uniform out of the closet and get ready because we're going to be taking a look at a piece of kit that you may just want to add to your collection. Stick around. Whether you shop on ThinkGeek, GearBest, B&H Photo Video, eBay, or Amazon, or even if you want a free trial of Audible, you'll find the best deals and support the shows we produce by simply visiting the shopping sites you already frequent by using the links on our website. Visit Category5.tv slash partners for the full and ever-growing list and help us create more free content like this show. Thank you for shopping with our partners, and thank you for watching. If you are a Trekkie, we have got the thing for you. Let's head over to the unboxing station. Robbie, what can you beam up for us? Oh, whether you are a Trekkie or a Trekker, I have the Star Trek The Next Generation Tricorder Replica. This comes to us from uh, Running Press. And you've probably seen these in bookstores, but the ones that I've been seeing are little itty-bitty replicas. And this one apparently is something that I actually want. We're going to find out as I get into the box today, and we're going to see if this is something that you want to add to your collection as well. Oh, pulling out the knife. So this is like fresh unboxing. This is it. it. We've got, okay, Deluxe Mega Kit. So this is not just any mega kit this is a deluxe mega kit uh what else have we got on the box star trek the next generation interesting that the text is the original star trek followed by the next generation that's kind of just a an observation there's the box there 
ages seven and up. Yeah, I pass. Well, All right. Debatable. Yeah, let's get into it. So is it actually... Now, Jeff, I really wanted this because I had a tricorder replica as a child, okay. as someone seven and up. Okay, we've got stickers. So it looks like some assembly required. So you're going to need an adult, kids. <laughs> um, I had a tricorder, but as the little tinkerer maker that I was, I wanted to add more LEDs to it. And so I punctured holes in it and I damaged it up and everything else. Oh, and it has, oh, it came with batteries. I wasn't sure if it was going oh, to come that. with batteries. Okay, I've removed the tab. This does not appear to be a replica-sized tricorder, but certainly bigger than the ones that, um, some of the ones that I've seen. Right. Let's open it up. Oh. Okay. That kind of looks nice. Yeah, there's no signs of life over there. Oh, listen. That's an actual tactile clicking. There you go. Okay, so, stickers on. Whoa, it's self-closing. That ain't half bad. Spring activated. Yeah. Okay. So, so how do you put the stickers on? <laughs> How the heck do you put the stickers on? If you were data, yeah. you'd be able okay, to figure it out. Hold it like that. And get a sticker. And... Oh! Okay. Let's look at the, uh, the instructions here, Jeff. Because I know you want to. Yes. Okay, they're numbered. Okay, that helps. Well, so we've got a diagram that shows us where each sticker goes. So one is going to go... Where's that? Oh, up here. Okay. One is going to go up here. There? Yeah. There. Okay. Shall we try, Jeff? I think so. One. Don't put it on the wrong way. Okay, have I got it the right way? According to the diagram, it appears you Yeah, I, I seem to. Okay, this one's easy enough. I love that it's tech show and we're putting on stickers. Yeah, it's a sticker. <laughs> So, you know, the replica nature of it, that it's stickers. But these are nice stickers. I mean, this is like shiny, metallic, um, glossy kind of uh, decals. It's not, it's not too bad. Let's see how it looks. Okay, two. Where's two? Two is there. So where does that go? I don't know, Jeff. I feel like you need to take it home for assembly purposes... Figure it out. And then play with it to make sure <laughs> it works properly. We've got a little booklet here that has some... Uh... <laughs> I kind of laugh at this, folks. I mean, we've got a picture of NCC 1701. Then we've got a quote by Jadzia Dax. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, funny. Yeah. So, oh, there's NCC 1701D. What does it say? Okay. At least we're right era. Pictures from TOS. There's TNG. TNG's bridge. Uh, tricorder from TOS, another tricorder from TOS, some information, We've got Will Riker, what else do we got here? NCC 1701D, is that D? Yes, it's only got two nacelles. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Beverly Crusher, some text, text, a real tricorder, there you go, from the show. Put the, open that up and stick it to your wall. 
remember the, back in the days? It's not that big to stick. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that looks like a medical tricorder. And what else? Oh, Wesley Crusher right at the oh, end. He made it. Oh, it's the oh, young Wesley. There he is, the young Wesley holding a tricorder. Well, there you have it. Okay, so let's uh, let's fade to black and come back. There you are, Jeff. And Jeff figured out that you can actually pull it a little bit harder and it won't close all by itself. Though you can. It clips. There you go. So I've got all the stickers on. I notice that, like, this one doesn't want to stay, Jeff. Right. Okay. You may have to press it down at the corners just to... Yeah. Well, there you have it. It's available at cat5.tv slash tricorder. It does look pretty good for a, like a prop if you want to go to Comic-Con or whatever else uh, or just add it to your, uh, to your uh, kit for your costume. I think that's definitely a good addition anyways. Sweet. I'm going to yeah. bring it with me, Jeff. Yeah, because... Uh, you never know when I'm going to need this. Well, <laughs> I, I can think of very few times Captain, when you're going to need that. I'm detecting no signs of intelligent life. I know, it's old, but story. it still works. It is fun, though. Yeah. I mean, I, I love, though, that the whole, like, even though that show's been off the air for so long, <laughs> that it's, it's like, hey, we're going to come up with something that everybody still wants. Because Everybody like, still <laughs> does, Jeff. Everybody does. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Oh, that's good. Uh, that's all the time that we have for this week, though. Um, again, you can get that at cat5.tv slash tricorder if you want to add it to your, your kit. Um, still have another Kingston Data Traveler 2000 oh, yeah. to give away. Love that. Um, so if you want to pick up one of these, all you have to do is send an email to contest at category5.tv. Tell us your name, where you're watching from, and we would love to cast your ballot for that. A great question came in asking, hey, if I cast a ballot one week, do I have to recast the following week? And the answer is no. Once you, unless you've won, you still remain in the contest until we are out of Data Traveler 2000s, and we've got one left. Um, thank you to those who have been supporting Category 5 TV. We do need to replace our broadcast server, and it does cost a lot of money, and I appreciate everyone who has been pitching in for that. You can do the same at donate.category5.tv if you've got a little extra that you can throw in the tip jar. We greatly appreciate that, and just mark it for um, wherever it's needed or for um, upgrades in the studio and we'll make sure that that's allocated toward that new broadcast server which is just going to make things a lot better around here um, behind the scenes and it's going to improve the quality of the show as well it's thanks 16k <laughs> not quite not quite <laughs> maybe 2.4 though um, just it, it might be a possibility um, thank you also to our patrons who give as little as one dollar per month just to support category 5.tv on a recurring basis and it makes a huge difference and we appreciate you as well and don't forget um, we are on Twitter at Category 5 TV I am personally on Twitter at Robbie Ferguson and I follow back if you want to follow me um, you can catch us on Roku, Cody, Plex any other media player. We've got RSS feeds through our website. Category5.tv is where it all comes together. We're obviously on YouTube, on Facebook, and anywhere else. Just do a search for Category5TV and you Bit shall torrent. find us. Yeah, our BitTorrents uh, are available at torrent.category5.tv if you want to download entire seasons of Category5 Technology TV. That's available to you as well. But that's it for this week. Good times. Next week, we're going to be seeing if those capacitors have come in from Amazon and nice. seeing if we can fix, through some soldering, fix that uh, Netgear 
or D-Link. It's a D-Link uh, network switch. And hopefully Sasha will be back as well. Indeed. Very good. Have a wonderful week, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.